I'm now joined on the line from Sydney, Australia, by Hamish Douglas of Magellan Asset Management. Hamish, thank you for joining me today, and we appreciate your time. You may be a new name to some of our listeners. Perhaps we could start by asking you to discuss your background and the way in which you manage money in the SJP International Equity Fund. Chris, that would be a pleasure. Uh, my, my background is I used to be in a mergers and acquisitions banker before I went on to run Deutsche Bank's investment banking side in Australia and New Zealand, but that was a long time ago. I was a co-founder of Magellan back in 2006, and that's nearly eight years ago. And since that time, I've actually been the lead portfolio manager on our global equity strategy. In terms of how we manage money, I think we have to start out what we're trying to achieve for ourselves and our investors. It's important for people to understand we're invested very strongly alongside our investors. We fundamentally believe this is how I manage my own money. What we're trying to achieve for investors, the first is capital protection. That doesn't mean when markets go down, our strategies won't won't go down to some extent, but we want our strategy to exhibit much lower downside risk than general equity markets would do. So that's one of the first things we're trying to do. The second thing is we're trying to earn our investors and ourselves a decent return on their money. This this isn't about a relative game. This is about an absolute uh, game. And we have set an objective for our strategy of delivering through an investment cycle of sort of five to seven years, an investment return of around sort of 10% per annum. And we, we would like to think for investors that if you are sort of reducing the risk of down market events and you are protecting people's capital, and if you can, through an investment cycle, deliver people a 10% return or better on their, on their capital, that should be a very satisfactory position for people. Risk and return go, go, go together. We, we are a low-risk investment manager. We seek to invest in a portfolio of very high-quality businesses. We're interested in businesses that have very high returns on their capital and have demonstrated long-term competitive advantages that give them some protection. You know, capitalism is pretty brutal at the end of the day, and, and most excess returns get competed away. And we, we want businesses whose returns can endure for many years in, into the future. It's what one of my heroes in investing life, Warren Buffett, would term as an economic moat around a business. And, and fundamentally, we have a very experienced team of investment analysts. We've got 23 on the team at the moment, who are organised into global sector teams, and we we, we specialise and we do a lot of work. We really try and understand the businesses, and we try and purchase them at sensible prices. And if we can purchase very high-quality businesses at at sensible prices, we we think the odds are pretty favourable of delivering the returns that that we're looking for. There's no guarantees in life at all, Chris. Of course, we, we accept that, Hamish. But, I mean, you've made some impressive returns since you started managing the portfolio for us from the first part of 2013. Perhaps you could help our listeners understand some of the decisions you feel you got right during that period. Yeah, well, 2013 was an interesting year that, you know, equity markets went up very strongly and, and a rising tide tends to lift all boats. And we, we certainly got a benefit of markets going up. But I think there was more that went on for us than, than simply markets going up because we inherently run a lower risk strategy. And in these type of very strong markets, we would expect our strategy would lag the market somewhat, and it actually didn't. It outperformed in 2013. And, and the reason it did is, is, is we did a few things that, that, that worked out well. 
first of all, at the beginning of 2013, we decided to put in some investments that had, I guess you would describe it, a bit more risk attached to them. They're still very high-quality businesses. We invested in, we took some money out of some consumer defensive names, some big multinational companies, maybe like Colgate and Coca-Cola, and we rotated that money into things that would give us a bit more economic upside participation and and we rotated into some large cap technology stocks such as Microsoft and and, and eBay and 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 and, and Oracle and, and others and 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 they worked out very well in 2013 uh, in 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 terms of investment performance we also in around May last year started to become quite concerned about the effects of the Federal Reserve effectively reversing some of the effects of quantitative easing. Some people have called this the tapering part of quantitative easing where they're slowing down their purchases of of effectively US securities or or treasuries as they're known, bonds in the US market. And we came concerned about emerging market currency risk and we sold some of the investments that were more exposed to emerging market currencies in the earlier part of 2013 and and, and that in, in hindsight has turned out to be a fairly wise Decision, but most of the investment performance, Chris, actually came from investments we've had for a very long period of time. We, we don't change our hand very often, and you know we had great investment performance from, from businesses like Visa Card and, and, and Mastercard and Google, and and Lowe's on a, on an improvement in the housing market. That's a big home improvement retailer. They, these were in the top five performers, and we've held these for a number of years. And, and, and Hamish, these are uh, shares that feature from North America, from the United States, and I think the portfolio holds around 75% in US equities at the uh, at the current time, which is a significant overweight relative to the market benchmarks. I wondered if, if you feel that disparity between US equities and, and, and Asia is likely to continue into the medium term. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to distinguish. We, we, we do have about 75% of the portfolio at the moment invested in, in, in US listed companies, but many of these companies are very large multinational businesses whose earnings are spread all around the world. And we regard a large part of our portfolio as sort of home in nowhere. They're, they're multinational businesses like Nestle or Coca-Cola. Actually, Nestle has more of its earnings based in America than Coca-Cola does, which is, it, it's sort of ironic. Uh, given that people would think as Coca-Cola is a quintessential American company and probably Nestle is a quintessential Swiss company and, and, and they're both large multinational businesses. If we look through to where the earnings are coming from, we have about 50% of our portfolio where the earnings are coming from the United States of America. And we are deliberately overweight the United States of America at the moment and have been for a while for two fundamental reasons. We've probably got about 15% overweight in the portfolio economically to the US, which is less than the listing, which is 75%. And the reason we are is we fundamentally believe the US is further ahead in terms of the economic cycle recovering, and we've been of this view for quite some time. I think most of the market has caught up to that now. And secondly, being overweight, you, the United States gives us an overweight position in the United States dollar, and the world still isn't without risk. And, and, and having a overweight position to the United States dollar where there is still risk in the world gives us some protection in, in the portfolio because it's still the world's reserve currency if something fundamentally goes wrong. 
we believe the US dollar will be a fundamentally strong currency in a disaster scenario. Are those the sort of major challenges that you see facing global equities over the next few years? Well, I think the major challenge out there, if you look over the last seven years, we've had three major challenges uh, that have played out. The first was the subprime crisis that led to the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the virtual collapse of the banking system. Uh, And that happened from 2006 to 2008. You then had a period in 2009, was the world going to fall apart or wasn't and what were the regulators going to do about as a consequence of that? And then you had in 2011, 2012 as the European sovereign debt crisis, we're now in a period of another event and that the central banks have embarked on extraordinary policies, monetary policies of printing money, and particularly in the United States. And the big risk and challenge for investors in the world is what's going to happen when the Federal Reserve actually stops buying US government bonds and heaven forbid start selling this extraordinarily large portfolio that they they have what impact could it have on, on bond markets and ultimately equity markets? And it's a very, very difficult question because there's no precedent in history that's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. And I think that is the challenge for all investors in the world to be wary of at the moment. Does that still lead, lead you to be confident that equities over the medium to longer term will still deliver a better return than, than cash, uh, than individuals holding cash on deposit? Well, it's a very good question, uh, Chris. I think we're, uh, we, we, we remain very confident uh, that, that we believe almost irrespective of what happens over the next five or so years, we, we're still sticking by we want to deliver people 10% per annum as an investment. It's not a guarantee, of course, but one, I'm prefacing my comments. What I would say about equities generally at the moment, and that's why people, I think, need to get good advice and to be with good managers, is we're in a very different cycle in the next five years than we've been for the last 25. If you think about what really drives stock markets over time, it's a combination of three things. It's a combination of what world economic growth is growing at, sort of what's known as GDP growth, and you have to look at it in nominal terms. The US is recovering, Europe is stabilising, Japan's embarked on some interesting policies, emerging markets are slowing down a bit, but maybe the world economy is going to get back in nominal inflation with inflation, maybe 5 to 6% growth. A stock market's going to grow faster or slower in aggregate over sort of the next five-year outlook than that. Well, you have to look at corporate profits. Corporate profits uh, will be growing faster than aggregate economies will grow if corporate profitability is a percentage of the economy or, or corporate margins are expanding. We're in a period now where, where, where corporate profitability is at all-time record levels. I think it would be a brave person to assume that corporate margins and corporate profitability will keep expanding faster, faster than economy. It may happen, but I think it would be a brave assumption. So you're now saying, well, maybe corporate margins aren't expanding like they have. So maybe corporate profitability in aggregate, you're talking about stock markets here, so we're talking aggregate, not individual stocks, maybe aren't growing faster than the five or six of world economies. And the last thing is the only way that valuations will go up faster than that corporate profitability will increase is if interest rates are decreasing because corporate valuations can only increase faster than stock markets or corporate profitability will be growing is if interest rates are falling and we're just coming out of a 25-year cycle where interest, long-term interest rates have been falling continuously and we believe we're now in a cycle where interest rates are going up. 
and we haven't been here for 25 years. So we would we would caution people in at, at a very high level in the next five years that equities are going to deliver at their long-term returns, which people may say are 8%. I think we're in a cycle where that 8% in aggregate is going to be challenged for the reasons I've spoken about. That doesn't mean if you're picking individual stocks and you're focused and you've got a the right portfolio that you couldn't have a portfolio that would do significantly better than that. But I do think people should be cautious around what just general markets may deliver in the next five years. Amy Chuglitz, that's great. Thank you very much for your time. A pleasure, Chris. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.